Welcome to Maximize Your Influence, your resource for the top persuasion, influence, and negotiation techniques that will help you maximize your success in life and business. And now, here are your hosts, Kurt Mortensen and Steve Olson. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Maximize Your Influence. I'm Steve Olson. I've got my accomplice. Last week, you were my compadre. Now, you're my accomplice. Uh, I'll take it. Hello, everyone. Welcome to our podcast. Welcome. And Kurt's just back from Chicago. How are the Bears? How was your trip? <laughs> the Bears. The Bulls. The Bulls. <laughs> you know, it's cold. That's, that humidity, it, it was cold, and there was snow, and... Good food. We talked about food before. So the food was good. The people were good. The training was good. Did a two-day on how to help people maximize their influence. And these are fun because I get people from the military. I get CEOs. I get people from IT. I get sales. I get customer service. It's interesting how people finally realize it doesn't matter what you do. We all persuade and influence for a living. They all do it in a little bit different way. Some are upper management, some are lower management, but they all realize it's all about the influence to get people to want to do what they want them to do and like doing it. It's fun to do because, as you know, at the end, people say, why didn't we learn this in school? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they go through life or their career realizing, trying to make people to do things or trying to get their teenager to do things. It's like, oh, this is pretty valuable. And so it's fun for me to see that. You know, my favorite part about that is, when you're presenting to the, the highly analytical or intellectual personality type, I've found they tend to view persuasion as, as unnecessary and, and kind of uncivilized. <laughs> and we should just be based on facts. We should be Mr. Spock. And, and that's how everything should be done. But the, the irony of it is, is when you put the facts about persuasion in front of them and the human brain eventually they convert and they do exactly what you said. They go, why haven't I learned this before? They do convert and you're just throwing some statistics and some studies in there and it grabs them. The other thing that grabs them too is when they try to communicate with marketing or salespeople, the IT people realize, wait a minute, not... <laughs> there's a different world out there. There's different styles, there's different personalities and they try to get marketing to work with IT and that's always a disconnect for most corporations because people think differently and do things differently and that's the first thing I say is, Hey, your default setting is you persuade how you like to be persuaded. Okay, wrong. Let's adapt to the person, adapt to the audience, adapt to the industry. Then you'll see great gains in your ability to persuade and influence. Yeah, that's, that's kind of much of the premise of that cartoon series, Dilbert, right? He's the, the engineer who, who knows more than everybody and has to mm -hmm. interact with the morons in sales and his boss, uh, Servant. <laughs> yeah, that's how it is. That's how it is. So I'm glad you were able to get out there to Chicago and see the Bears. Okay. It was cold. And on that line, it's always fun. I ask people, it'd be very honest. I said, okay, so there's different personalities out there. What is the best type of personality to have? Yeah. <laughs> Everyone gets all sheepish and they kind of look down and finally someone raised their hand and says, mine? <laughs> like, thank you. You are correct. And yeah. That's fine to think that way, but we have to learn to adapt. Yeah, we talked about that when we interviewed Jerry on the show, personality ties. That's right. Ties. That's I mean, show. it's you just feel so natural when you're working with somebody who is your own. But the facts of life are you got to be able to learn to deal with the others. It's probably never going to feel as easy and natural as your own, but you got to do it. You got to do it. It's how it works. You got to play the game. You got to do it. Got to do it. So we bit off a lot more than we could chew with this whole presentation skills thing. We got into the prep 
last week how to prepare effectively for a presentation. And it's become apparent to me that we've got second episode on it. We're probably even going to have to do a third. Uh, yeah, based on the responses and the emails, it looks like we're on the right track, which is good. And we're happy to let you know. So send in your emails. Let us know what you think. Let us know what you want us to talk about to expound upon. We are here for you. That's right. That's right. And the podcast, subscribe to it on iTunes, on BlackBerry and Stitcher, all those places. We'd love to have you listen. Um, for a limited we, time offer, it's free. Wink, it's wink. free. <laughs> and we want you to tell your 10 friends. Get yes. on it. Yeah, tell your 10 friends who are going to tell their 10 friends. There we go. Yeah, there you go. So before we get into some more information on presentation skills, Kurt, you had an interesting study about warning labels, and I maybe was too generous in my word choice of interesting. (laughs) Well, I'm kind of wacky that way. I think they're all interesting. We talk about studies and research. That's where I am. And that's what I do is I take all these studies and kind of distill them into a book or to a study or to a seminar. So this one just came across my radar about warning labels. And this was published in the Journal of Psychological Science. And basically it says, are warning, label, are warning labels counterproductive? You've seen them on food now. You see them on cigarettes, on alcohol. We see these warning labels. So do they work? And the health advocates say, yeah, you have to do it, you have to do it, you have to do it. And a new study suggests that when there's a time lag between reading a warning label and then buying and consuming it, that it changes how well it works. Basically, when we read it right away, it kind of takes us back. We're a little scared. But over time, it loses its value. It it diminishes its, I guess, fear would be the word. They called it construal level theory, which is CLT, which I thought was interesting. But basically that when you see it, it kind of takes you back. But over time, it actually gives the product more trust in your mind because they were honest to you. So let me just kind of give you an experiment they did with cigarette smokers. There was an unfamiliar brand of cigarettes. Some had a warning label. Some didn't. And half the smokers were told the cigarettes would arrive the next day. And the warning decreased the number of cigarettes purchased by 75% compared to the group that was not shown the warning. Yeah. Then the other group, they were told, hey, the cigarettes going to arrive in three months. And half of those saw the warning label, half of those. So it's in three months. It's down the road. Those that saw the warning label, the number of cigarettes purchased increased by an average of 493% compared to the group that was not shown the warning. So there's a time thing there that makes a big difference as far as the warning label. And it's interesting when I go to Asia to do trainings. Over there, their cigarettes have actual pictures of lung cancer. Oh, <laughs> wow, wow. Ugly pictures, and, and people are excited about it. They're like, look, look, I'm like, it's killing you. She's yeah, no, look what's happened to my lungs. All- <laughs> so I don't know where that's coming from. It's past fear. And I know we talk about fear and teach how to use fear, which is a powerful persuader. But when there's too much, it's way out there. They've seen it too much. They've already dismissed it, or there's a time lapse there. It doesn't have the same punch. Yeah. Well, there you go, people. Try to get. Uh... So if you're going to use fear, it needs to work right away. Fear's not something 30 days, 60 days. It's something that needs to be instant, whether if, it be a warning label or in your persuasive presentation. If those pesky regulators are all over you to put a warning label on your product, try to engineer the sale to where people are, are exposed after they see that label and increase your sales rate. Just a, a little tip, right? <laughs> little little tidbit for you. little tidbit to fool the regulators. <laughs> I'm sure they're going to love that. So thank you for the article, Kurt. We want to get more into presentation skills and our good friend, Tess. 
We love Tess, don't we? She's a nice we lady. We love Tess. She's been really good to me. Yeah, she's been good to me as well. And I think we introduced Tess on an earlier podcast. Uh, Tess is not actually a person, in case you're tripping about that right now. Tess is an acronym standing for what, Kurt? Well, it stands for testimonials, examples, statistics, and stories. There you go. Why do we care about our good friend Tess when it comes to delivering and preparing for a presentation? Well, a lot of the questions came up from our last podcast. We talked about organizing our presentation. I just touched on it briefly when I mentioned you create your call to action first, then you build your whole presentation around it. So I want to give you some structure here to help you out when you create your presentation. Now, you do create your call to action first, which is number five on your to-do list, and then we're going to add test. So we're going to focus on that during this podcast. So let me kind of give you that structure, and then we'll add test as we talk about different personalities. Sounds good. Sounds good. So the first thing that you want to do, and we mentioned this briefly last week, is number one, let's write it down, is you want to create interest. How are you going to grab their attention? Now, here's the thing you need to focus on. We talked about the what's in it for me. If someone, let's say it's a phone presentation. If somebody's called you, you have to find out their need, their want. If you've called them, you have to create a need or want. Those are two very different presentations. It's not the same. But you have 30 seconds to grab their attention or to find out what's interesting to them, why are they calling you. So number one is create interest. The second one is state the problem. Okay, what's the challenge? What's the problem? What's the issue here? And that's usually your, what they call a gap analysis. Okay, this is where you are and this is where you need to be. What's the problem? The third is we're going to offer evidence. Statistics is a great place to put here. What is the evidence you have here? Fourth is present the solution. Okay, here's the solution. Your, this would be your product, your service, your idea. And the fifth one is your call to action, which should only be about 5% of your presentation. We mentioned in the earlier podcast that it shouldn't surprise them to have that call to action. Now, within that presentation, whether it be eight hours or whether it be eight minutes, you need to include tests. Now, tests is important when you're talking to a group of people. Now, I mentioned I was in Chicago doing a two-day presentation. I have different personalities I have different mindsets. And it's interesting when I read the evaluations that some people will say, oh, the studies, the statistics were awesome. But all the group exercises, I didn't think we needed that many. Then you read the next one. Oh, love the group exercises. I met a lot of good people. I developed some lifetime relationships. But whoa, way too many statistics and studies. So let me ask you, Steve, what do you think that means? Did I fail as a presenter? No, I think it means that people have different things that appeal to them. And that's the thing. I didn't fail. I had to shoot down the middle. And your analyticals are going to complain about all the group inter interaction. And your amiables are going to love that. But way too much science. Yeah. So we have to kind of shoot down the middle. And that's what test does. So if I'm speaking to a group, webinar, over the phone, face-to-face, -face, I have to realize that there's different personalities out there. And that's why we use tests. So we resonate with different people during that presentation. Got it. So the reality is, in fact, let me do an example here that will kind of illustrate there. Too bad we can't get some feedback, but I'll just tell you some average numbers that we get with this. What I want to do right now is pick a topic that's difficult to persuade people on is the topic of goal setting. So what I want to do to all, all the listeners is persuade you to do better at goal setting. Now, time out here real quick. Understand, listeners, that when I say today I'm going to persuade you, that's terrible. You create resistance. 
You would never do that in your presentation. I'm just doing that as an example since this is a persuasion podcast. <laughs> okay. uh, there you go. And you pick goal setting because that's kind of a topic where people roll their eyes and go, oh, not again. I've heard this before. It's a tough topic. And I ask people, I said, well, why is it when I bring up goal setting, do people get tense and uneasy and nervous? Every book on success you're going to read talks about goals or targets or objectives. And as humans, we need that. The happiest times in our life when we're pursuing a goal, a worthwhile, exciting goal, but people get tense and uneasy. They cringe because they've tried it and it didn't work. They felt like a failure. Maybe they've never been taught how to do it. Maybe their boss forces goals upon them or quotas upon them, and it just gives a bad taste in their mouth. Yeah. And I think for most people, the reality is no one's ever taught them the right way to set goals. For example, if I want to learn how to go snow skiing and I went to the resort and I rented skis and I got my little pass and I said, hey, do you need lessons? I'm like, no, I'll, I'll figure it out. How hard can it be? And I go up and I'm not sure where to get off and there's a beautiful sign that has a black diamond on it. That must be good. So that's where I get off. And for our non-skiing listeners, that's the expert run. And as I start skiing down this hill without lessons, I'm probably going to hit a tree, break my leg and say, well, this is a terrible sport. I'm never going to do it again. That's right. And most people have done that. They've heard about goals, but no one's ever really taught you. And I'll give you a formula today to really help you out because goals will change your life, will increase your success and your happiness. In fact, one of my mentors, Brian Tracy, who's one of the national authorities on success, says when you can put your goals in writing, it actually triples your success rate. It triples your commitment, your motivation. He's all about the goals and setting the, the short-term and the long-term goals. It makes a huge difference. In fact, a university study interviewed graduating seniors and found that 3% had their goals in writing. 3% versus the other 97%. And they followed them for the next 20 years. And they found out in the next 20 years that that 3% was earning 10 times more than the other 97%. So there's income here. There's happiness. It changes. I mean, if we don't have goals, we're just floating around. It's like a ship without a rudder. It's just how it is. Like, let me give you the formula here for our listeners. If you really want to do this, increase your success and your happiness, there are four parts to do this. You have to have the what, and you have to write it down. If you don't write it down, it's just a wish. You have to write down the what. That's what most people know how to do. Then you have to know the when. What is the deadline here? What is the deadline? Then you have to know the how. Okay, what's your game plan? What CDs you going to listen to? What seminars are you going to go to? Who's going to mentor you? Where do you need to learn? Who do you need to contact? And you're always learning and growing and getting the tools that you need. And the fourth one, the most important, is the why. Because a lot of people don't fail because of a lack of goals. They fail because of a lack of reasons. Why do they have that goal? Uh -huh. I've done a lot of work with Dan Jansen. He's the commentator on the last, these Winter Olympics. He's one of the speed skaters like Apollo Ono, the Oval Track. And he has an amazing story where he held the world record in, I believe it was like the 500 meters in the race, the ovals. I mean, these, it gets pretty vicious out there. And he went to the Olympics. He had a goal to get a gold medal, didn't place. And he held the world record in this. And he trained for another four years and went to the medal round, got cut off and disqualified. Trained for another four years. His sister was diagnosed with cancer. His mind wasn't in it, didn't place. Trained for another four years. And for those that are doing the math, that's 16 years. And he got the Olympics. He was getting too old. His last Olympics, he needed a gold medal, didn't have any medals in the Olympics. And he Got to the 500 meter and, again, was cut off, slipped and fell, didn't get a gold medal. So, done. But he qualified for the medal mound in the 1,000 meters. was not his best event, didn't hold any records, but he qualified barely for this medal round. His last shot, 
And it was one of those incredible moments in Olympic history where broke the Olympic record, got the gold medal, did a victory lap with his newborn daughter. Everyone was crying. It was just incredible. He'd finally done it after 16 years. So we sat down with him. We said, Dan, you focused on this for 16 years. Most people can't get out of bed in the morning. You stuck to this goal. What is your secret? And he put his hand to his chin. He thought about it for a second. He said, you know what? When I was younger and just getting started, I had a wise coach that sat me down and made me list all the reasons why I wanted that gold medal for me, for my family, and financially. And I'd practice for six hours a day, six days a week. And after three or four hours of practice, I was cold. I was tired. I was hungry. I was done. And when I felt like giving up, I'd pull out that list of reasons for my speed suit, and I'd find one reason that would get me back in the game. And that's important to have the reasons to have that why to be successful. So listeners, call it your target, your objective, your quota, your goal. Put it in writing. Follow those four steps. I guarantee you'll be more successful. Okay, so time out. Think about it. Which one resonated with you the most? And this is important as we talk about groups. I did a testimonial from Brian Tracy. Now, for those you know Brian Tracy and have read Brian Tracy, have heard Brian Tracy, that's going to resonate more with you than those who don't know who it is. My example was the snow skiing. My statistic was the university study. And my story was the Dan Jansen. So think about the one thing, one of those four that resonated with you the most that caused you to think, hmm, yeah, I need to do better goal setting. And if we were in a group setting, I'd have you raise your hands and we'd run the statistics. But let me give you the average from thousands of presentations that I've done and that I've watched other people do. Here are the averages. 12% will be testimonials because testimonials resonate with about 12% of the audience. Examples, that's usually about 23%. Statistics, your analyticals, they need them, 18%. And the big whammy every time is going to be stories is going to be 47%. Wow. And that was really well done because I actually kind of forgot that we were even talking about tests. <laughs> you know, <laughs> well, that's it, good. Yeah. Yeah. It, it wraps you in. It, it really makes the case for goal setting. And you know, we had talked about the Dan Jansen story on the show before when we were talking about the Olympics. But, you know, you give it in this context as a story for goal setting. And yeah, you can see that we give these different mediums and we know that they're not all going to resonate with every single person in the audience. But Welcome to presentation, right? Whether you're presenting to one person or to 200, you don't know what the makeup is going to be. Unless, of course, you do. But, but if you don't, you've got to use tests so you can speak, in everybody, speak to everybody in the language that they like to be spoken to in. Absolutely. If I'm going to a group of, and I've done this before, internal auditors, right? A lively bunch, okay? And... I'm going to crank up the statistics and probably reduce the stories, and that's okay. But usually a general audience, I need to have all four to make sure I'm resonating with every person, every personality in that audience, because I'm going to present how I like to be presented to. If I'm analytical, I'm cranking up the statistics and the studies, but my amiable people are going, Wah. but then I say a story, it's like, oh, story, right? And that might be another podcast is how stories persuade without detection, but stories are very powerful in the persuasion process, especially for those that resonate more with stories than they do statistics. Definitely, definitely. So the takeaway is, everybody, in your presentation, you have to have all of these. I mean, if you don't have any testimonials, you got to go out to your clients and get a few, and you have to be able to put those into the presentation. 
get the relevant statistics together, get some examples that illustrate your product and how effective it is, and have a kick-butt story in there. And oftentimes those stories, the character in the story, goes through the same objections and the same thought processes that your, your prospect is going to go to. And, and you telling them about this story and this person going through that, it speaks to the subconscious mind and it helps them get past those objections on their own. So there you have it. That that's the takeaway, and that's important. Is collecting there? Who's the testimonial? Do they know them? Have they heard of them? Collecting the statistics, thinking about good analogies or stories, those are important, and that's how people think. As you gather this information, you can adapt it to your audience, but that's important. The larger the audience, you have to do this, so you're presenting to every personality and not just the people that are like you. Sounds good to me. You ready to do a blunder before we sign off? Let's do a blunder. I've got one for you, and this is, uh, I don't know, maybe you can get some kind of gavel sound because we're taking this one to the Honorable Judge Mortensen. He's in his chambers. <laughs> you are deciding if this is a blunder don't, don't, don't. or if it is a ninja. Ah, a blinja. Yes, a blinja. Could it be both? <laughs> I think it could. We'll call That's it a There's your word of the day. Write that down, blinja. <laughs> yeah. Well, here are the facts of the case on the alleged blinja. Okay, I'm in the car the other day, listening to the radio. I felt like rocking out. I know you want to turn your car into a university on wheels, but sometimes I just got to rock out. And this okay. is what was happening. Well, and a commercial well, came on. And this commercial was for, quote unquote, a cutting edge uh, uh, experimental weight loss supplement. And the company was looking for, I, I thought this was funny, males between the ages of 25 and 65 in my area. <laughs> Okay, who needed to lose at least 20 pounds. And what I thought was the, the most entertaining part of this was if you take the supplement and begin losing weight too quickly, you must stop immediately. So obviously they're trying to create the image of this. This is just too dang powerful. I mean, can anybody lose weight fast enough, right? Who really wants to? If your muscles so, are getting too big. Yeah, if you have too much money, you know, <laughs> one of those type of things. So what's the ruling? And if you have any questions about the case, uh, let me know. But is this a ninja or a blunder? <laughs> I'm going to have to hear both sounds. I'm calling it a blinja. <laughs> don't, don't, don't. A blinja. All right, that's the verdict. <laughs> that's the word. That, because here's how it works. When somebody's emotionally involved, and there's credibility, and there's trust, and they're listening to this commercial, and they're going, yeah, that's me. They're talking to me. They're getting excited. Oh, man, it works so good. I got to be careful I don't lose too much weight. Then that's a ninja. Mm -hmm. But if they start off and you're like, you're all skeptical, and they haven't built trust, and there's no testimonials, there's no statistics, they haven't done some of the things that we talked about today, and then they get to that, then you're like, oh, whatever. Are you kidding me? Nice try then it's going to have the opposite effect. Yeah. So I, in a situation like that, it's going to depend on the beginning part of that commercial, how people are involved in what they're using and when they get to that. Because I think during that, it's going to have both effects. And it's all going to depend on the structure of that commercial. Because when people are involved and they're excited, it's going to do, it's going to change their life. They're finally going to lose weight. Wow, it's worked for other people. All the testimonies, it's happening. Oh, well, I got to be careful because, huh, I'm going to lose weight too fast. 
then it depends on that emotional state before that even happens. Yeah, yeah. And I think, too, I wasn't the target audience, so I was rolling my eyes. But <laughs> I see what you mean. You know, they did their test. They knew that, hey, look, a lot of people we're playing this ad to aren't going to want this. But the ones that do, the ones that buy into the initial credibility, I think I could see that being a pretty effective line. Definitely. Yeah, I think when people are emotionally involved, that's an awesome one to where the people are like, oh, yeah, I'd better be careful. I could lose weight too fast. But if not, then you're rolling your eyes and saying, you got to be kidding me. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> well, good, good. Thanks for ruling on that, the Honorable Judge Mortensen. We appreciate it. I still think you need to find like the sound of the gavel, you know, going down three times. Yeah. There we go. That'll work. Yeah. So potential new segment. Or if the, the listeners show. have one, they can send us one too. We'd love a gavel sound. Yeah, please send us a royalty-free gavel sound. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cool, cool. Well, that's it for everybody. We'll see you next week. We've got our final, our final podcast on presentation skills. Not ever, but for this little series that we're doing. And we appreciate listening, and we will catch you next time. See you next time. Mm-hmm.